itself. And it says, not holding our sins against us. And that is the mercy of God. The mercy of God doesn't give us what we deserve. And the grace of God gives us what we don't deserve. And um, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about what we deserve and so on. And it seems that song is very fitting. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy, for not giving us what truly we deserve, which is eternal punishment and damnation. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, and that is giving us what we don't deserve, which is new life both now and forever through faith in you. Lord, I pray this morning for those who need to recognize that mercy and grace, who need to experience it, who need it to wash over them, Lord, maybe for the very first time, for folks who maybe have attended here for quite a while and yet have never humbled themselves in your presence, submitting their lives to yours, dying to themselves so that you might live in them. Or Lord, for those who just again need your mercy and grace to wash over them, to be reminded of what you have done for them, We thank you, Lord, that you do not give us what we deserve, but you give us instead what we don't deserve, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I did a wedding ceremony yesterday, and some of you were there, and it was at 2 o'clock outside on a roof. It was hot. And I kind of was picking up signals from the family, sort of like, you know, let's go, keep, you know, get going, you know, because everybody was hot and whatever. But, you know, every wedding I've done, regardless of if it's hot, regardless of if it's inside, regardless of if everything goes perfectly, if everything goes totally haywire, the, the two people standing there don't care about any of that stuff. All they can think is, what did I do to deserve this person right here? Some of you that are married, do you remember that moment? Like, no, no, not, not really. Huh? You may, maybe you can think back, okay? It's been, you know, a little while. What did I do to deserve this person? So wonderful. I mean, they just look into one another's eyes as they did yesterday, and they listen to me talk about some things they'll never remember that I said. Because all they can think is, what in the world did I ever do to deserve this person, this perfect human being right here, right? Those are fun times as a pastor, I'll be honest with you, because you get to celebrate with people who are excited about what's happening in their lives. And I've done tons of weddings at this point, and, and everyone has its little unique features, just like yesterday, kind of being outside and, and all of that. And, and I've done weddings where the bride had on a crimson dress, red, crimson. And I've done weddings where the best man lost the ring. And, and I've done weddings where I wondered, what in the world are they doing together, you know? Because <laughs> I know each of you. But anyway, I, I've done a variety of weddings. That's always fun because those people are excited asking the question, what did I do to deserve this person? But I've also dealt with people asking that same question in a different circumstance. What did I do to deserve this disease? What did I do to deserve my marriage falling apart? What did I do to deserve losing the person that I love so dearly? What did I do to deserve this foreclosure, this bankruptcy, this poverty? 
What did I do to deserve the bad things that have happened to me and to my family? Those are not so fun conversations. And yet people are asking those questions. Premarital counseling is easy. That other kind of counseling is not. People all around us are crushed by the pain of what they have had to deal with and are dealing with right now. Crushed by it. And they're, they're so confused as to why it has happened. They don't understand it. And, and as they issue their complaints, they often look to us, people like you and people like me, to help see them through it. And you or someone you know right now is asking, what did I do to deserve this? And how can we help? That's what I want us to think about this morning. If you've got a Bible handy, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Job. If you open your Bible sort of to the middle, you probably hit somewhere around Psalms or Proverbs. Job is just before that. It actually comes right before the book of Psalms. And so if you turn back to the left just a little bit, J-O-B. It looks like Job. It's Job. It's a dude's name. Job is the, the, the main character, really, in the story. <clears throat> we get his episodes of what happens to him and so on. In the book of Job, we're going to look this morning, beginning in chapter 4. So if you want to kind of get to Job chapter 4 and hang there for just a second. Our series, kind of catch you up, uh, if you have missed one or maybe it's your first time here with us, we're in a series called When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And everybody has experienced those times when life simply does not make any sense. I don't understand. I mean, you know, what do I do when suffering overwhelms me? What do I do when bad things happen to good people? What do I do when I don't know what to do? What do I do when God seems so silent or distant or even non-existent? What do I do in those cases? What do I do when I, when I live right, I think, and it's almost like I'm punished for it? And so we're going to look this morning at, at Job beginning really to, to deal with uh, some interaction with his friends who are trying to help him figure out what do you do when life doesn't make sense. So we're going to look at where Job was, sort of kind of a snapshot of Job after all the stuff that happened to him has happened. And then we're going to look at what his, the, the first of what will be four friends who, who interact with him. We're going to look at what he got from this particular friend. And then really by comparison, actually contrast what he needed instead. And so this morning, I hope that whether it's you or whether it's somebody that you know, you can be helped through answering this question, navigating the waters of what did I do? to deserve this. Job, as we pick him up uh, in and around chapter 4, Job, we kind of get an idea of, of three overall things that he's, that he's experienced. The first is that he is crushed. Job is absolutely crushed. Uh, flip over actually to, to chapter 6. Let's begin, let's look at a little bit here what Job is dealing with. He, he, in chapter 6, he's answering his friend who just spoke to him. And he says this, verse 1, Job answered, If only my grief could be weighed and my devastation placed with it on a scale, for then it would outweigh the sand of the seas. That is why my words are rash. Now stop there. You get an idea that he is dealing with unbearable grief. Job has lost everything. We'll recap that in just a second. Unbearable grief. He says if, if it were weighed, it would, out, it would outweigh all the sand on the seashore. And then in verse 4, Surely the arrows of the Almighty have pierced me. 
My spirit drinks their poison. God's terrors are arrayed against me. Do you understand what he's saying? Do you understand who he looks to and says, somebody seems to be out to get me? It's not the people that stole all his stuff. It's not the tornado that blew the house down where his children were and killed all ten of them. He says, God has set up like an archer, taking aim at me and shooting poison arrows directly at me. God is shooting arrows at me. And then skip down to verse 8. If only my request would be granted and God would provide what I hope for. Anybody know? You might remember what he's hoping for at this point? Death. He says in verse 9 that he would decide to crush me, to unleash his power and what? Cut me off. What is he saying? I want to die. I have no desire to live whatsoever. He is absolutely crushed. Verse 11. Look at verse 11. What strength do I have that I should hope to that I can, should continue to hope? What is my future that I should be patient? Is my strength that of stone or my flesh made of bronze? Since I can't help myself, the hope for success has been banished from me. He says, "Look, I'm not made of stone. I mean, I I, I can't pretend this doesn't hurt. I'm done. I have no hope." He says. Now, what we've seen about Job's situation so far in our series, and this is message number six, so we, we've got five previously, we've really kind of dug into what he's dealt with. His situation is honestly, it's unimaginable. He, he is said to be, by God himself, a man of integrity who fears the Lord and shuns evil. God thinks he is a big deal, if you will. Satan comes to God and says, well, yeah, you know, I mean, of course, anybody would follow you if you give them all this stuff. If you protect everything that they have, of course, but you take away what he values most and he'll disown you. And God, for his own particular reasons, not the least of which is to prove that he is worthy of following, even if everything else is taken away. God, for his own reasons, says to Satan, go ahead. And Satan wastes no time leaves the presence of the Lord and immediately goes out and Job's stuff is all destroyed. And his family, all ten of his children, all killed at once to get. Because I'm a Baptist, they all start with the same letter. Okay, so so that's, Baptists are not very smart. If you haven't figured out, we have to make everything start with the same letter so we can remember it, right? Okay, so, uh, but we like to eat good. So uh, that's, that's a bonus. Um, I want you to write down these words. Write down the word divorce. Just kind of making a list here. Then the word disaster. Disease. Depression. And death. Divorce. Disaster. Disease. Depression. Death. Somebody here or somebody you know is dealing with a crushing weight of one, if not more, of those things. Job dealt with disaster. Everything he had gone in an instant. He dealt with disease when his body was stricken with boils, the Bible says, a skin disease of some kind. He, he dealt, of course, with depression, as we saw in the last couple of weeks and as we see him today. And he dealt with the death of those close to him. And it nearly gives us the hint that if he lived in 2017 America, he probably would have dealt with divorce 
because his wife comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? You want to be married to somebody like that? I wish you were dead. Why don't you just curse God and die? He said, just put yourself out of your misery. So he might have dealt with all five of these things. You may not be dealing with all of those, but everybody here has been touched by one of those categories. And for Job, nothing seems to bring him any comfort whatsoever. Nothing. Not his religion, not his friends, not his faith. Nothing at that point seems to bring him any comfort. He seems to be experiencing, as he says, those arrows pointed to him. The wrath of God seems to be coming against him, and he can't figure out why. He's committed, he thinks, no particular sin that would warrant this. He searched his soul, and he can't find anything. But for whatever reason, it's all happened, and he's crushed. Secondly, he's confused. He's confused. Look in chapter 6, verse 24. Teach me, and I will be silent. And look at what he says. Help me understand what I did wrong. You ever been there? Help me understand. Lord, what did I do wrong? His friends are accusing him. We'll get to that in just a minute. His friends are accusing him of, well, you've got to have some sin in your life. And then he goes down in verse 28. Look at this. But now please look at me. He responds. He responds to his friend. Would I lie to your face? I mean, you know, at what point do you think I'm, you know, I'm just still lying to you? I mean, everything has happened to me. Why would I lie to your face? And then, of course, back in verse 11, as we just read, he says, what strength for the future do I have? I mean, I've got nothing. He's totally confused. Everything has been lost and he doesn't understand why. And he keeps asking over and over and over and over again, why, 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 why? What did I do? What do I do now? What could I have done differently to prevent this? I mean, I don't even understand it. I can't even comprehend. And there are people in this room and people that we're around on a regular basis who are confused about what has happened. Confused about that divorce. Confused about that disaster, that disease, that depression, that death. Confused. I don't understand it. Why, why, why? Now, we've been taught an answer to the question why. It's wrong, but we've been taught it. We've been taught, and I have harped on this every single week, but I don't want to take for granted that that week to week that you remember all of this stuff because you get bombarded with a variety of messages. We have been taught... That retribution theology, it's a fancy term, we've been taught that retribution theology is true. Here's what it means. If I do good, I will get good. If I do bad, I will get what? Bad. So if I'm getting good, what? I have done good. And if I'm getting bad, then I must have done something bad. That's retribution theology. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. Getting good, well, you probably you're, you, you did something right. Things going wrong, you probably did something wrong. We believe that we are basically good. And so we believe we know what is best for us. Which in most cases we would say. And because of his being confused, he's also complaining. Complaining a lot. Look at verse 11 of chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 11. Job is summarizing essentially what he's doing. He says, Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. 
I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And then here's his complaint. Look at verse 12. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you keep me under guard? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that I prefer strangling death rather than life in this body. I give up. I'll not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. What is man that you would think so highly of him and pay so much attention to him? You inspect him every morning and put him to the test every moment. Will you ever look away from me or leave me alone until I swallow my saliva? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your target? So that I have become a burden to you. Why not forgive my sin and pardon my transgression? For soon I will lie down in the grave. You will eagerly seek me, but I will be gone. Who's he talking to? He's talking to God. That's a prayer. Whoa. Can't pray that kind of prayer. Job did. Man of integrity who feared God and shunned evil. God said he was something. This is the prayer he prays when everything goes wrong. He says, am I a monster? You have to put me in a cage, God? I mean, I can't even sleep, he says. Because when I, when, I finally, when I finally get to the point where I can sleep, then I have nightmares. Thanks a lot. What's he telling God? Leave me alone. Go away. He says, why, why would you pay so much attention? If I, if I don't matter, if I am nothing, why would you pay so much attention to me at all? Why all this? Go away. He begins to vent all of his feelings. What have I gotten for living right, he says? Well, nothing that I really deserved. And essentially, he is yelling and screaming, as we all do from, certain, from time to time, God, I, I deserve better than this. And you or somebody you know is there right now about the divorce, about the disaster, about the disease, about the depression, about the death. So he's crushed, he's confused, he's complaining. That's where Job is now. How would you respond? How would you help a friend who's experiencing all that? Some would say, uh, no idea. I <laughs> uh, hope they don't call. Um, block them on my texts. Um, refer them to a counselor who knows something about the... What would you do in that scenario? You're dealing with somebody who's absolutely crushed and they have no idea why it's happening. All they want to do is just vent. What do you do in that situation? Now, Job had some friends. And in fact, we get at the, at the end of his, of his episode where he loses everything, three of his friends come to him. They travel a decent distance and they come to him and they just sit there for a week. They don't know anything to say. They just sit there. And then they begin to speak, which is where everything goes sideways, really, <laughs> in their relationships. Because every word they say, even though maybe they think they're trying to help Job, it pours salt into the wound. And so what Job gets from his friends, or his first friend anyway, a guy named Eliphaz, when he begins to speak up, the first thing that he, that he gives to Job is accusation. Look at verse 8 of chapter 4. Look at chapter 4. This will sum up really what Eliphaz is saying to Job. He says, In my experience, those who plow injustice and those who sow trouble reap the same. What's he saying to Job? Get what you deserve, man. I mean, look, I, you know, I hate to be the one to break it to you. I'm sorry, but no, I love you tell you the truth, right? I mean, we're friends, so, you know, my experience, people who get bad stuff, rub it on yourself, pal. 
I mean, this guy has a little bit of care and concern, you can see, but he just accuses Job. And essentially, he starts off and he says, you know, hey, you've been able to help people before, but you can't help yourself, can you? What about your words that you've told everybody? What about the comfort you've given everybody? It doesn't work now, does it? He's telling Job, you don't see the real issue, man. It's your sin. It's a problem. That's why all this has happened. You're crushed because of your sin, and you've brought this on yourself. It's really your fault. I mean, what is it, Job, that you're hiding? I mean, look, everybody's got faults, Job. We all know that. And so your faults, the, the issues in your life, you brought this on yourself. You say, man, I'd never say that to somebody. But you think it. Don't we? I mean, what is it that you think when you find out somebody's going through a, a difficult time, a tragedy of some kind, when, when they get divorced, when a disaster strikes, when they get a disease, when they're in the middle of depression, when they've experienced death around them? Sometimes you think, well, getting what they deserve, really. I mean, you know, if I'm honest. The way they've lived, you know, I mean, I, uh, you know. Or, you know, they must be hiding something. I mean, if they would just get this out in the open, I mean, they could be helped and they'd move past this. Or, you know, I would never let that happen to me because what? Because, oh, I'm so smart. Because I, I know all these things. I can prevent them. Or, you know, if they would just do this differently. They, they just turn back to the Lord. They, they could be restored. We might not say those things, but that's what we're thinking. And Job's friend was saying those exact things. Thinking all along, he's kind of helping. But all he's doing is, a co- is accusing Job of bringing all this on himself by not confessing some sin. So he gets accusation. Secondly, he gets arrogance from his friend. Chapter 5. Look at verse 8. He starts off in chapter 4, verse 8, and he says, you know, in my experience, and then he says in verse 8 of chapter 5, if I were you, do you sense a little bit of the condescension? If I were you, I would appeal to God and would present my case to Him. And then look at chapter 5, look at the very last verse, verse 27. We have investigated this, and it is true. Hear it and understand it for yourself. I mean, if you just listen to us, he says, just listen to what I'm saying. I mean, I understand this. I, I know, and I understand the situation completely. Just, just listen to me. Job, if you would just fix your eyes on God, I mean, all this stuff would fade into the background, right? Because obviously, Job, that's not what you're doing. You're not following God. But unfortunately, his friend is not listening to Job at all. He's not trying to understand, and he's not believing a word that Job says. I mean, this dude has already got it all figured out. You just go talk to him. He's been to seminary. You go to seminary, you get all the answers, trust me. I know. I've been to seminary. And I didn't get any answers. I just Some people that go to seminary apparently get all the answers. I don't know. I didn't get all of them. This guy went to seminary. Or maybe he took some counseling courses. He read a book or two about how to help people through difficult times. He's seen all this before. Job, I know what's going on. Job gets accusation. He gets arrogance. Thirdly, he gets answers. What's he been asking for? Answers, right? Why? Why is this happening? Okay. Let me tell you, Job, verse 6 of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 6. Look at it. For distress does not grow out of the soil, and trouble does not sprout from the ground. What's he saying? It didn't come from nowhere. 
let me tell you the reason that you're experiencing all these bad things, Job. It's not because it came out of nowhere, like happened and you can't explain the reason. So let's just trace it down. Let's figure out the cause. God won't keep crushing you, Job, if you repent of your sin. He'll let up. And everything will be fine if you just do these spiritual things. Trying to say the right thing to someone who's in grief. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times we feel like we need answers. We need to give them some answers. You know, we say something to make the pain diminish a little bit. Say something to take their mind off of it, whatever. Um, but I mean, really, what kind of answers do you and I have for, for the, the wife whose husband just left her? For the family that just lost everything in a hurricane? I mean, what, what kind of answers you got? Well, God is punishing America? Oh, okay, I'm a Christian. What about me? Really? What about the young mother just diagnosed with cancer? What about the person that you look up to who's clinically depressed and they can't get out of bed in the morning? What about the family bearing a child? You say to them, I've been there in all those different situations. You said a cousin not long ago lost a baby, full term. Had to deliver, stillborn. I have no idea what to say other than I love you, I'm praying for you. I'm sorry. Job was given supposed answers from his friend. It's not what he needed. I want to turn this around just a little bit as we close. We're going to head toward this fairly quickly. Let's look at really what did Job need. And this morning, this for you, if you're the person who's crushed and confused and complaining, this is what I pray that you receive from the Lord. And if you're the person who's ministering to that friend, that person, that family member, that coworker who's been crushed and they're confused and they're complaining, this is what I hope that we will take and say, Lord, help me help the hurting with these things. What Job needed, first of all, was grace or the gospel. That's what he needed. The idea of the gospel. In the way that it was handled. What did he get instead? He, he, got, he got accusation. When you go to somebody, or this morning if you're that person, let me just tell you, I'm sorry for what has happened. I mean that sincerely. Well, you didn't do it. I'm not saying that. I join you. We, we mourn with those who mourn today. And if you're a person who's experiencing that, I want you to know that we love you and we believe Jesus still loves you too. People in the midst of suffering need our love and our compassion, our, our gracious touch, not an accusation, not a solution. And we need the gospel in what is said. I wonder, are we accurately portraying the heart and the word of God when we say things like, well, they brought it on themselves? Do you realize this? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I mean a true believer in Christ, I don't mean you're perfect, that's not the issue, but a true believer in Christ, do you realize that from the moment when you place your faith in him that you will no longer be punished for any of your sins? Past, present, or future. You will no longer, listen, you will no longer be punished for any of your sins. Because you have, you have received the punishment that Jesus took. He's received actually your punishment. And you've received instead His grace and His mercy. So what does that mean? That means that for a Christian, a true believer in Christ, the bad things you experience are not punishment for sin. 
Okay? Retribution theology is wrong. If you've experienced a divorce, disaster, disease, depression, a death in the family, and if you are a true believer in Christ, guess what? It is not punishment for some sin. You don't have to try to trace it down. God, I've confessed everything I know, and this person's still not being healed. I mean, oh Lord, I don't know what else to, to, to you know, get out in the open, God. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sorry for everything I've ever done. You don't have to do that anymore. You're not being punished for your sins. Jesus took your punishment. That's the gospel message. The gospel says also that those who are not believers are not yet being punished for their sins. Not like they will. Now, let me say this. In the life of an unbeliever, when bad things happen, guess what? It's a preview. It's not God throwing darts at you. That's not the point. It's just a preview of what hell will, will sort of be like. That's the gospel message. It tells us that it's just a preview for those who are unbelievers and ultimately for believers. All the punishment is taken away. The gospel ultimately tells us that our lives and our world are completely out of control and they need outside intervention. Without that, we can't ever be whole and healed. And yet, how many of us operate as if we're still being punished for our sins or thinking that we are somehow good people apart from Jesus or still trying to solve everything on our own? The gospel, the grace message is needed. Secondly, humility. What did his friend give him? First, it was accusation instead of the gospel, instead of grace. Then it was, it was arrogance instead of humility. You go to somebody, and this week you'll deal with somebody, and they'll say, I don't understand, I don't understand why this has happened. And you know what you can say to them? I don't either. I really don't. And I don't understand all the reasons why this is going on. I don't know exactly how you should feel or what you should do. And, and you know, probably I can't totally put myself in your shoes. I can't do it. But I'm here for you. And we're going to figure out the next step together or we're just going to sit here. Maybe these friends of Job, as we'll see as we move through this series, maybe they're well-meaning. But we need to remember that we often get it wrong when we're trying to help somebody in deep, deep grief. And we need to approach that in humility, not assuming we know. And then thirdly, I think what Job needed was the idea of mystery. His friend tried to give him all the answers. But there are some things God never reveals. That's the mystery of God. It's his prerogative. You can call it unfortunate if you want. But we don't possess the mind of God. Isaiah wrote about it. His thoughts are far away higher than our thoughts. We don't fully understand. We don't have all of the, the answers and all the reasons why things happen. We don't. We don't know all that God is doing. And, and you know, the problem is we don't like mystery, do we? I'm not talking about a mystery movie. Because you know how that's going to turn out. Well, they're going to find the answers, right? What if your favorite mystery movie ended like halfway through? Okay. And never, never knew who did it. Never. You know, it's like a game of Clue that would last forever. You know, you could never figure out that it was, it was Colonel Mustard, you know, with the lead pipe in the library or whatever. I mean, you never figure out... What exactly happened? We don't like mystery 
We want the answers when it comes to divorce and to disaster and disease and depression and death. We want the answers, but we don't have all the answers. And that's okay. And if you spend your life trying to find all the answers, two things will happen. Number one, you'll never find them all. And number two, odds are you will never learn to trust the God who has not revealed all the answers. I wish I had a better answer for you this morning. But ultimately, what Job will find is a living faith, not some rote answer, some pat answer that he's given. He will find living faith, and he will come to understand that sometimes in the life of a believer, sometimes there are things that happen that we do not and can't ever and won't ever understand. And it's in those moments, as Job discovered later on in this book, where he reiterates what we saw at the very beginning, and that is, I trust God. I may not like everything that God has allowed, but I trust God. And if not for those times, then my faith would not have grown. I may not understand the reasons why, and I don't like it, but I trust God. Divorce. Disaster. Disease, depression, death. All of those things are part of a broken world that we live in. And until Jesus returns, we're going to experience those things. We'll experience being crushed and confused by them and the complaining that will be drawn out of us. Job eventually learned that the only hope for this broken world was an unchanging God and he to put his faith in. And God hasn't changed. We just simply have more of God's plan now. God is still the only hope that you and I have. The Savior that He sent, Jesus Christ, to demonstrate His love, to die a sacrificial death for you and me, and to be raised again to give new life to all who will believe in Him. That is our hope in the midst of why did I deserve this? What did I do? The circumstances of your life may not change when you surrender to Jesus, but your heart will, and your mind will, and, and, and for all eternity... You can stand before the Lord and you can say, what did I do to deserve this? And the answer will be from the Lord, nothing. You did nothing to deserve my love, nothing to deserve my grace, nothing to deserve my death on the cross in your place, nothing. And you can say for all eternity, praise God. And God did not give me what I deserve, but instead gave me what I didn't deserve. And in your pain and in your suffering this morning, let me encourage you, meditate on, think about, read about, pray about, receive the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ so that for all eternity you may say, what did I do to deserve this? Let's pray together. This morning as we close, I, I want to pray as I sometimes do, just very specifically for you. I'm not going to call you out. I won't make mention of anybody in particular, obviously. But 